Are you ready for unwarranted hype for undrafted free agent signings, general managers getting praise for acing this year's draft before players have even played a snap? And definitely, definitely the time of year, I'd argue, when some of the best hot takes are born. I'm ready for all of that and more. You better get ready for a lot of slow news days. <laughs> you you are right about that. This is The Pick Is In. I'm Stephen Patton. I'm joined by my co-host, Jacob LaCroix. Today, we'll be diving in with how we see the AFC shaking out as things stand right now. Yeah, and this is kind of going to be just a basic overview of the teams in the conference. Uh, we'll do more divisional deep dives later in the summer where we kind of rank the teams and where we see and how we think they're going to end up and stuff like that. So kicking it off, uh, the AFC North and East are are very, very loaded. Uh, they represent about nine out of the 16 teams in the AFC are projected to have a winning record, and six out of those nine teams come out of the AFC North and the AFC East. So you have Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Cleveland all projected to have winning records, and Buffalo, um, New York, and Miami all predicted to have winning records. And this this information is coming from Vegas Insider. And so when we're looking at the market favorites to win just simply the division, uh, we have Kansas City with Mahomes, Cincinnati with Burrow, Buffalo with Allen, and Jacksonville with Lawrence. And all those quarterbacks were taken with at least the top 10 pick since 2017. Mahomes at 10, Allen at 7, and then Lawrence and Burrow both were taking at 1. So we're starting to see the next generation of quarterbacks beginning to take a strong foothold on the AFC hierarchy. You said it. I mean, the, the AFC is loaded with top-end QB talent. I think you could argue any of the teams that you mentioned above uh, would be dangerous in the playoffs this year. And I'm particularly looking forward to seeing if the Jags and Trevor Lawrence can really take the leap and be a deep playoff team this upcoming season. I didn't even mention the other great quarterbacks in the AFC with Lamar, Rodgers, and Herbert. And there's a lot of great passers competing in a stacked AFC that has both Pittsburgh and New England as two teams looking in on the playoffs as the betting markets stand right now. This is kind of crazy considering both teams have elite head coaches in Belichick and Tomlin and what most analysts would say were good drafts this past year. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't really sleep on uh, Pittsburgh this year in that division. I think they did have a good draft, and uh, they were playing pretty well towards the end of the year. I think if Pickett can continue his growth and take another step, I think he was looking pretty good towards the end of the season last year. Mike Tomlin's going to continue his streak of winning records, and I think they can really sneak into the playoffs, maybe be an under-the-radar playoff team. And then, like you said, you can never count out the Patriots as long as Belichick's there. And it seems like he finally did the right thing and hired an actual offensive play caller this year. And hopefully that can help uh, Mac Jones and the offense actually kind of function this season and be a team that had another good draft and can maybe make a playoff push. Robert Mays and Nate Tice uh, had them on the no-fly list last year with their offensive coordinator <laughs> situation. And they think that Bill O'Brien has the ability to elevate this team to at least semi-watchable playing football so that's we'd love to see that um especially with how that defense is going to play on the other side so definitely a fun bunch um returns in the draft aren't usually immediate and consistent so i know we kind of touched on that they've had great drafts the market i don't think is impressed with mac jones and kenny pickett and then along with the lack of weapons in new england and below average line in pittsburgh there's just there's too many holes for the market to think that they're going to be able to surpass some of these other teams with quarterbacks. 
Now, last week, one of the dives that we had uh, were teams trying to mimic the Chiefs' use of two or more tight ends. I stumbled through the section, didn't connect the personnel usage and coaching trees as well as the 21 personnel section uh, when we kind of talked about the Lions and Falcons taking running backs high. Yeah, like we uh, talked about last week, uh, the Chiefs were pretty successful with 12 personnel. That's uh, one running back and two tight ends. And uh, I think you mentioned that a theory you had was that the Giants, Steelers, and Packers were all trying to emulate that success with their recent movements and adding uh, more tight ends to their roster, more game, like game starting ready, uh, game ready tight ends to their rosters uh, this offseason. Yeah, no, and I'm going to get into more coaching pedigree with some of these teams, but for the three that we mentioned last week, what I want to mention with those is that they have a combined five of the last 18 Super Bowl championships, uh, which comes out to about roughly 27.8% of the titles won over the last almost 20 years, which is kind of crazy to think about. And when you're looking at that, these front offices know that in order to win, that there's always going to be evolutions in the game. And the faster you can jump on these evolutions, the better you're going to be. And so they're able to stay ahead of the curve. You kind of see that with the Patriots and them not really addressing the wide receiver room outside of Juju and signing Mike Gesicki to pair with Hunter Henry. Um, the coaching pedigree kind of stuff comes in with the Ravens who under John Harbaugh last year had two tight ends on the field for roughly 50%, 56% of their plays. Now there was a transition from Greg Roman to Ted Monkin. So you could see a little bit more of like 11 personnel. Um, but Ken Dorsey, the Bills offensive coordinator, started his coaching career with Carolina under Rivera in 2011. He then follows McDermott to Buffalo in 2019 before becoming the OC last year. Definitely a lot of growing pains uh, with play calling, but just some interesting side notes and and strands that are all connecting these guys. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Harbaugh, uh, Rivera, bit, and uh, Sean McDermott. All of them coached under Coach Andy Reid in the 2000s. Uh, so he has he has quite the influence on a lot of these uh, coaches and their their play callers. Yeah, I mean, they're all watching each other throughout the year and in the off season, and and trying to see where they can grow from each other. And this is an area where Andy Reid kind of showed how to pretty much pass out of 12 personnel and dare a defense to play a lighter box so they can just run it on them. I mean, that's that was the Chiefs game plan versus the Eagles in the Super Bowl, and it worked to perfection. So I agree with that. Ken Dorsey, I, I think up in Buffalo, what we're going to see is an evolution up there where they're running more 12 and 13 personnel, especially with the money that they gave to Dawson Knox last offseason and drafting Dalton Kincaid in the first round. Uh, I agree. I could see that. And I think we might also see some 22 or 23 personnel, which is uh, two running back sets with either two or three tight ends. I think uh, with the whole whole message that they really want to commit to having Josh Allen take less hits and uh, less runs by that matter. I think we might actually see some more heavier personnel that allow him to stand in the pocket and uh, make plays with his arm instead of his legs. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. They're going to do things to protect Josh Allen, play to that team's strengths, and be able to solve a bunch of different puzzles a bunch of different ways. Um, he had a lot of growing pains last year as a play caller, but I think Dorsey takes that next step, especially with a kind of the depth on the personnel with the Devin Singletary, with the Dalton Kincaid, adding depth in the interior O-line with McGovern and free agency and drafting Torrance. So 
definitely a lot of things to be excited about. Yep, they added a lot of big players to play up front, and I think that uh, I think that signals that they have a plan, and it kind of lines up with what uh, what we're talking about here. Absolutely. So five quarterbacks were drafted in the first two rounds in the 2020 draft. Two signed extensions uh, this past year, Hurts and Love, who we'll get into more next week. Two will probably sign in August, according to Jason Fitzgerald with Over the Cap, and that's Burrow and Herbert. And then there's one other guy, and and this is who I kind of want to talk about for the next little bit, is Tua and the Dolphins. I'm a really fan of how the identity has changed in Miami under McDaniel, now Fangio, but there's a lot of questions with Tua. I agree. Uh, looking at the Fangio point, I think he'll be a helpful addition for a defense that was kind of underwhelming last season, despite the names they have on their roster. And the offense under Mike McDaniels is it's all gas, no brakes, as we know. It's just speed. And they added even more speed in uh, Devon A-Chain this year in the draft. And the offense as a whole was pretty successful when Tua was on the field last year. But that's the big question is, can he stay on the field? That That is the biggest question because, like you said, their offense is all gas, no breaks. You got Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, like you said. You added an A-chain in the third round this year. Uh, you have above-average pass rushers in Chubb, Jalen Phillips, Christian Wilkins. And then you got some good pieces in the secondary with Howard, Ramsey, Holland, and now Cam Smith out of South Carolina. So it really does boil down to the concussions to a sustained last year. Um, I don't think brain injuries are like – other bodily injuries that we see like torn ligaments, pulled muscles, broken bones. And this is where I think Tua needs to be honest with himself about what's best for him long-term. I agree, man. I love Tua as an Alabama fan, but uh, there's going to come a time maybe sooner rather than later where those injuries catch up to him. And hopefully this season, his offensive line can be not a bottom five unit and protect him a little bit better. So he doesn't have uh, compounding head injuries and uh, just a last note on the Dolphins uh, for me is that that Dolphins medical staff, man, they, something needs to go down there because they sent him out there with a concussion. That's just unacceptable. Yeah. And it, some of those situations, it's like the player, like you can tell he's competitive. He's going to kind of lie his way through. But that's your job as a doctor to see through kind of the BS and and, and exactly. take player safety seriously. The, like their lives are more important than a couple snaps uh, in a game. Like at, at the end of the day, when you're looking at the big picture, that that's what needs to be put at the forefront. So right. it was scary watching. uh what happened last year? Oh, I mean, but, uh, yeah, I, what happened yeah. with the Bengals and just then yeah. later in the year? Oh, uh, yeah. But if he can, if he can stay upright this year, and if that, uh, if Fangio can get the defense right, I think uh, the offense can continue to kind of speed blitz other teams, and I think they can make some noise uh, this upcoming season. And that takes us to another team in the division with the New York Jets, and. Uh, I think we all know the focus is going to be on the new QB this year. I mean, last year, Zach Wilson was one of the worst in the league. And they were able to limp to, I believe, seven wins, uh, some of them being impressive. So if Rodgers can be anything better than that, I think the Jets can make a run. I think several people believe, the Jets included, that they were simply a quarterback away. They were the 
Vikings in 2017, a team that with just a capable quarterback play was able to get inches away from a Super Bowl. And Zach Wilson was completely abysmal. So even just getting average quarterback play to even like what you're alluding to with Rodgers, his kind of play, you you can kind of make a run. But one of the things that needs to kind of happen with all this realization is that the defense is probably going to take a step back. So it's not going to be the same level that we saw last year. Um, this is a team with a new quarterback and a new OC. So there's going to be some some gelling aspects. And I, there's question marks at tackle and edge with this team. This is not a complete roster by any means. And a couple injuries could have this team thin at a lot of other positions. Yeah, the new uh, there will be a new offense. But luckily, the QB and the OC seem to know each other and get along very well. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why said OC is in New York now. But, I mean, I agree. Uh, that offensive line, especially the tackles, I think, uh, if one of the options that they have between Becton and Dwayne Brown and I believe uh, Max Mitchell doesn't really step up and take a take a step, it's going to be a problem. And I think that they, they drafted Will McDonald at uh, 15th overall, hoping that he would have an early impact along the edge. But – that's rarely the case with uh, rookie linemen on one other either side. Excuse me. Yeah, no, it's very rare for a guy to come in his rookie year and perform well. We've we've been spoiled with Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater and a couple other guys at different positions where it's just they're they're a star as soon as they hit the field, and that's just not usually the case with most of these guys coming out of the draft. Now. As much as I'm bashing the Jets here, I do like how they've added a lot of depth at wide receiver with Lazard, Hardman, and Cobb. And you already had Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis on this team. And the interior of their offensive line is not bad. They have Lakin Tomlinson, Joe Titman, who they just drafted, and you already have Elijah Vera Tucker on the right side. So the, the issue just more becomes with, especially when you're looking at Rodgers' contract and the other pieces on this team, the margin for error is just really small right now. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that cap hit next season, obviously they'll rework it. They have to. But I think as of now, Rodgers' cap hit uh, next year is over $100 million, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So uh, A cap hit for be a single player, dude. One player over $100 million. It's insane. Yeah, I saw a tweet, uh, I believe, yesterday that um, his cap hit – next season which will be a hundred like a hundred and eight mil or something like that was higher than the entire salary cap when he came into the league back in oh four yeah now i'm not that i mean that sounds right i'm not sure if it is right but it sounds right which is crazy and uh it'll be interesting to see if they can make the playoffs after uh after being an all-in team this season i think that's pretty clear based on based on the move and uh, it'll be interesting next season to see if Rodgers is still on the team. I mean, this is a guy that was 90% sure he was retiring before he went into the darkness. So we'll see uh, what the future holds. This is one of those things where I feel like if Rodgers wins and does well this year, that there's going to there's there's going to be incentive to stay. But if something blows up, like that's I think it's only going to reinforce his mindset that he needs to step away from the game. And then it wouldn't be in the same offseason as Brady. I, I again think that's a, a big reason why he kind of came back, regardless if he wants to say it or not. 
Um, I agree. Maybe he can go to the Vikings after the uh, the Jets, like Favre. I, I mean, that's his role model. He's he's looked up to him at every step of his career at this point. So uh, with that, we'll uh, we're looking into another division projected to have three teams with winning winning records, and that's the AFC North. Cincinnati signed Orlando Brown this offseason. Pittsburgh moved up to fourteen. The draft Broderick Jones, and the Browns took Dewan Jones in the fourth. Are we sensing a theme and pattern here? I think so. Um, and that the team that you left out of that is the Ravens. And they're starting Ronnie Stanley and Morgan Moses as their tackles. They didn't really do much to, uh, to upgrade there. I think, uh, I think the AFC North is going to be another bloodbath of a division with three or four teams that I think could realistically make the playoffs and make a run. I think all of them have QBs that can be called elite between Burrow and Jackson to above average uh, with the Cleveland quarterback and Kenny Pickett. And I think all four teams have pretty good rosters around them. It's going to be interesting to see which teams can separate themselves uh, in division games as well as late in the season. And I think, I think this division in particular will be important to win so they can host a playoff game. Oh, hosting is going to be huge, huge for this division. Um, I think the schedule release on Thursday and injuries, depending on different game slates and if, if a team gets hurt down the stretch, um, that's really going to make an impact for this AFC North race. Now, the Bengals, led by Zach Ta- Taylor, a Sean McVay prodigy, uh, seems pretty dead set in his 11 personnel ways, uh, and that didn't seem to change this offseason when they added Irv Smith and they let Hayden Hurst kind of hit free agency. The Bengals have a lot of pieces on defense that are really good, and as long as they keep Burrow upright in the pocket, this team is probably playing meaningful football in January. I agree, and uh, last week I know the Bengals were on a team that I touched on that, uh, that didn't have, or that I didn't say they had a good draft, but I think they did. They added a couple high upside receivers in Andre Ayusivas and Charlie Jones. And uh, I think should they end up losing Tyler Boyd or uh, T. Higgins, uh, I was blanking on the name for a second. If they lose either one of them, I think those guys can potentially fill the void. And I agree, as of right now, it's hard to say that the Bengals uh, won't take the division looking at their recent success. But I think the Ravens can make a push. Uh, They brought Lamar back. They gave him some new weapons, and they have a new coordinator that likes to spread the ball around. So as long as Lamar can uh, stay healthy down the stretch, I think they can make a push to win the division because we saw how bad that offense was without him. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, Without Lamar, that offense isn't going anywhere. Um, A lot of teams are beginning to move towards heavier personnel groups. Uh, We kind of touched on this at the beginning of the episode. Um, But this is something Baltimore has been doing for several years now with Lamar. Uh, This past offseason, the Ravens brought in a creative offensive coordinator in Monken, and they added weapons on the perimeter to make a dangerous offense even more versatile. I think... If Lamar stays healthy this year with how valuable he is to that team and that offense, he would finish top three in MVP voting and they would take the AFC North crown. I mean, they, they were leading the AFC North in week 12 when he got injured this past year. And this, this is stuff where it's, it's not uh, out of this world. It's not insane to think about. This is, this is a reality that can happen. And I think the Ravens, a lot of what they've done this off season is to ensure that. 
I agree. I think healthy Lamar is one of the most unique weapons we've seen uh, in NFL history, to be honest. I think if he's healthy, he has a good chance to finish high in MVP voting as well. And then, like we mentioned before, I think the Browns and the uh, the Steelers are both sneaky teams that can kind of kind of sneak into maybe that seventh spot and uh, maybe put up a good fight in their first playoff game. But I don't know if they'll be able to to push the other teams. And now uh, on to maybe the worst division and the well, definitely the worst division <laughs> in the AFC and maybe the worst in football altogether, the AFC South. I can can you name a starting Tennessee Titans offensive lineman out of outside of Peter Skaronsky, who they just drafted? Yes, I can actually. Andre Dillard, you know, the uh, guy of course. Uh, the Eagles yep, drafted. The Eagles, yep, the Eagles uh, offensive he, he didn't line. work out. So he was their swing tackle. And uh, the Titans paid him a bizarre amount of money, in my opinion. I believe it was 29 over three years to be their left tackle the next couple of years, or maybe uh, right tackle, depending on how Skaronsky lines up, which is uh, kind of bizarre considering, like I said, he was nothing more than a swing tackle the last few seasons. Uh, somebody in that Titans scouting department must have had a high grade on Dillard all those years ago, because that's the only, the only way I can rationalize that amount of money being thrown around for a swing tackle or, or the Titans front office just really does think Philly is uh, the genius of all geniuses. And they're just going to get every piece they can from the Eagles. Now, um, maybe Traylon Burks uh, on the Titans has shown promise, but he's really the only viable weapon on the perimeter or in the slot. I mean, really their second best option is probably their tight end on Conquo. Uh, and it's, it's really looking thin after that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I really like Traylon Burks. I think he was my favorite receiver in the draft a couple years ago. But yeah, the cupboard's pretty bare there, and uh, there's just not a lot of options. I thought they would address pass catcher kind of early in this draft, and they didn't. So it's going to be interesting to see this year. It's it's just one of those things that Derrick Henry's getting older, and it just feels like a team that if Tannehill gets injured, like tears his ACL has, has some sort of season ending injury. Um, they're, they're uh, securing a top three pick in next year's draft. They're probably in a position to draft a Caleb Williams, a Drake may one of those two studs. And I, it, it's, it's just hard to see like Mike Rabel is such a great coach and this team's just kind of gone to shambles. I don't even think it's going to take a Tannehill injury. I think this, this and maybe the Cardinals are the worst rosters in football. Uh, yeah, probably these two. And I think uh, even without a Tannehill injury, they're going to end up picking top three, top five. And this has got, like we were saying just a couple minutes ago, this has got to be one of the worst receiver rooms in recent NFL history. The only other receiver I can name outside of Burks is Kyle Phillips. And that's just because he was also a rookie the same year Burks was. So I watched his tape that year. But I can't name anybody else in that room. I think you have Westbrook Ekine. Um, it, it's hyphenated. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Westbrook yeah. Uh, Akine, I think. Yeah. So that's the only other guy really on there. Yeah, they they, they don't have a lot of pieces there. Uh, like you said, they didn't go wide receiver early. That would have made sense, maybe top of the second or move down from the third into the second. Um, but regardless. Um, I'm going to kind of throw this out there about the AFC South. I know it's early into the offseason. I alluded to earlier, these are where the best hot takes are made. I think the Colts could win six or seven games this year. 
they have an easy schedule, mm. uh, 28th percentile uh, since we've seen the 32-team league back in 2002. This is from uh, Sebastian uh, on Twitter. Uh, he's part of the NFL Fast R, NFL Radar, NFL Plot R libraries. And uh, Shane Steichen, he had early success with Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts. And if he can get this offense clicking with top-end talent and Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor while maximizing guys like Alex Pierce and Isaiah McKenzie, Josh Downs, and Jelani Woods, I don't know, man. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of firepower right there. I am a Jelani Woods stand. All right. I'm probably gonna take him in fantasy. I, I think his ceiling is very high. But I don't know if I'm as sold on the Colts as you are this year. I think maybe two year like the second year into Steichen's tenure when AR has been marinated a little bit and uh, he's had some NFL experience I think that's when they can take off but I don't know if they're going to be able to win as many games this year despite having a really good uh, offseason and draft class I think they had one of the best drafts but it usually takes a couple years for the young guys to really integrate and learn winning ways when it's such a young team but I like what Steichen can do, and uh, he should be able to maximize Richardson along with the the rest of the weapons. I just don't know if I can see it this year. Yeah, no, I, the youth movement definitely is always one for pause of concern. It gives you hope for the future, and that's exactly what they have right now. Um, I think one of Indy's biggest knocks last year was really their inability to protect a 37-year-old Matt Ryan. Uh, who's pretty immobile compared to their current current guy. And so when you're looking at this year, uh, if Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, they bounce back, uh, Richardson's strength in college was his ability to avoid sacks. And that's one of the higher negative plays that comes from a quarterback. So if you eliminate some of that, the Colts front office added athletes uh, that bolster both sides. They have a couple playmakers on defense and Buckner and Leonard. Um, but I, my biggest question mark is going to be their secondary. I think they're going to get torched left and right. I think when they're playing teams outside of the AFC South, they're going to get outmatched a lot of times. And that's OK. This is a first year team. And like we talked about, um, they've laid the foundation for years to come. And I think the team's just going to be overall very competitive this year. I do think, uh, in regards to their secondary, that Kenny Moore is a very underrated corner. I think he'll be a plus for them, but the rest of the guys I can see uh, have struggling a bit outside of the division, like you said. Um, I think if the Colts are going to be competitive this year, in the future and this year, I think this year's uh, draft class will have to play a big part. And also, uh, touching on their O-line, I think Bernard Raymond, uh, their left tackle, yes. I think he also played left guard. He uh, he took a step really late in the year. So I think he if was they, looking uh, good at the end. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that left I side is looking have, really good. He will be very important to their success this year uh, if they win a lot of games. It, yeah, no, a phenomenal point. Um, which kind of brings me to a team that I'm, I was really unenthused by, disappointed in. And that's the Houston Texans. And I thought they'd have a better draft than the uh, abysmal Arizona team uh, that has complete chaos in the front office or has the past six months or so. So Houston makes an asinine decision to trade up, give a King's ransom to move back up the three, move back up to the second, grab guys that are definitely reaches for what they're giving up. And at best, they have an average offense, uh, like average O-line, uh, solid pass catchers and Dalton Schultz and Noah Brown and bringing in a Robert Woods. Um, I, I John just, Mechie. 
yeah, John, I mean, they, they do have pieces there. Like, I don't want to make it sound like this is a, a bottom five offense in terms of talent there. But it's one of those things that you you give up so much and you're you're still going to have a lot of growing pains this year. And I don't see them um, like not having a top 10 pick, which is only going to bless the Cardinals more and make it even more worthwhile that they did the tray. I agree. Uh, it's interesting that uh, the Cardinals for what, three or four years before Austin Fort got there, they were the worst drafters. I mean... <sighs> I think, I think three straight years they took a linebacker around one, um, depending on what you uh, regard Isaiah Simmons as. I think he's more of a safety now. But coming out, he was like the hybrid linebacker of the future. Uh, I, I think Jeremy Chen ended up playing that role in that year's class. But yeah. they took him, then I believe Zayvon Collins the next year. They did. And the year before they and took Simmons, they took um, – I, I don't think it was the year before, but it was, it was a little prior. It was Hassan Reddick. two years before Hassan Reddick, who who played edge at Temple, but they moved him to linebacker and, for some reason. And, and they would have a great, young, stud, elite edge rusher, which is exactly what their team needs if they had just mm-hmm. kept him. And they, just, they, they just don't know how to operate. So that's where it was like one of those things where like Ozenfor is a breath of fresh air. He made great decisions. Yeah, he, he is. He killed it. But we'll, we'll talk about them more next week. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll get into that when we get into the NFC West. Um, but talking about the AFC West, do you really see the Chiefs losing? I, it just feels like they're too good when they're healthy in a division with the Broncos and the Raiders. I think uh, I think people get bored with success. I think, like, in regards to the Chiefs or in the NBA, it's always LeBron or the Warriors. Who's going to beat them? Who's going to knock them off? Mahomes is just too good. Uh, I don't think the Raiders or Broncos have a shot. I think both of them will – they might regress a bit, uh, both teams this year. But I think if any team can do it, it's the Chargers. But we said that last year, and I think the Chiefs beat them both games. I think one of them was close, but I'm pretty sure the Chiefs won both times. And uh, like I said, the only team that has a shot to move them off the top in their division is the Chargers. And the past couple years with Herbert's uh, ascendance, I think they've had the hype – uh, the past couple of years, like I'm saying, but I just don't see it. I think the Chiefs had a good offseason. They replaced the people that left, and I think they're going to stay on top again. So the past two episodes, uh, it's it's really the same old stuff I'm, I'm bringing back, uh, and that's coaching trees and uh, personnel usage. And so Brandon Staley, he coaches under McVay as a defense coordinator before uh, coming the Chargers head coach. And he seems to be following this mindset of 11 personnel or bust. Uh, you go out, you grab a Quentin Johnston in the draft. You already have a Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. You don't really fill a need with tight end that you have. And you have an aging running back, Austin Eckler, who's requested to be traded. So it's it's one of those things where Justin Herbert really doesn't have a lot of margin for error. And he has to be great like he has been. And, and the defensive stars need to stay on the field and produce. You have a Khalil Mack, you have a Joey Bosa, you have a Derwin James. Regardless of J.C. Jackson is in the corner that he was in New England, you got to get some average play out of him to kind of justify having all these guys, especially when they are all in this year, which brings me to four clubs that I think are really all in from the AFC perspective, uh, which are the Cleveland Browns, which who have 61 negative effective cap space next year, 61 million. The Chargers have 57 million. The New York Jets have 43, and the Dolphins have 29. 
Like, yeah, this is insane. We're talking like dead cap, effective dead cap space or effective. I'm I'm not even saying the right thing. I guess negative cap. It is it is effective negative cap space. So they are under the cap already or over the cap this much over the cap. So 61 million for the Browns, 57 million for the Chargers, 43 million for the Jets and 29 million for the Dolphins. I got way ahead of myself. This is not dead cap yet, but there's going to be a lot of dead cap because they're going to have to restructure players. They're going to have to cut guys or trade them to just get them off the books to be cap compliant and that's insane we aren't even in the this year and this is this is this is effective cap space for next year we've been seeing that with the saints uh the past few years i think it's catching up to them and yeah some of these teams are going to have some tough decisions to make uh i guess the start of the league new year next year i guess that's when they have to get under the cap Uh, in regards to the chargers i agree we need to see something from jc jackson I think uh, he he underwhelmed quite a bit. Uh, I, I guess we were all looking to see if he was going to be the guy that was in New England, and he wasn't. He's getting paid like he was the guy in New England. Yeah. But he re- he really, uh, when he was on the field, he didn't really have an impact. And I believe he missed some time early and midseason last year. So we really need to see something out of them. And I do think Justin Herbert is going to be able to uh, – to take another step under new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Uh, I believe Moore had top five scoring teams, three of the four years he was coordinator um, down in Dallas. So hopefully he can bring that there and, and kind of help. They, they Herbert, ran a lot of 11 uh, personnel down there in Dallas mm-hmm. too. So it's, it's a lot of like similar shades that we're seeing. And there's definitely a lot of promise. Yeah, I think uh, with the addition of Quentin Johnston, I think the 11 personnel is going to be prevalent, probably greater than 50%. But on to the the teams that you listed that were all in, I think we can add the Bills to that list as well. Um, Jason Fitzgerald from the Over the Cap podcast, he kind of touched on this during his last episode, and he agreed that kind of the Bills, Dolphins, Browns, Jets, and Chargers were all AFC teams that were really – all in on this year and it's kind of crazy to think that there's so many afc teams that are all in trying to uh trying to fight in this bloodbath and dethrone mahomes and kind of take the afc crown it's just very it's really uh really interesting to see and all of these teams have pretty good rosters all the ones uh mentioned above in my opinion just going to come down to who plays mahomes or burrow i think we can say Burrow's played pretty well in the early rounds of the playoffs and who can win their divisions and host home playoff games in the first round and avoid, uh, I guess only one team avoids the, the wild card game now, but that's going to be important too. Who, uh, who gets a bye week and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Hopefully one of these all in teams can end up winning their division. <laughs> what I mean, the Bills, Jets, Dolphins, one of them has to win their division. No, they maybe, definitely maybe the Patriots do. can sneak in. That, and, and that's the funny thing is, is that when you look at the Patriots cap space, they have so much next year. And I think they are going to bank mm-hmm. on that. Uh, there is something to note about teams that spend a lot in the present. Uh, they do end up upping their chances because you're adding an influx of talent in that year one. So we may see the Patriots fall out as kind of the market is predicting. And we see a team like the Jets or the Dolphins sneak in. But next year, they regress massively and they're they're vying for a top five pick. That kind of it's going to be. Uh, yeah, it's going to be like a couple of years ago when the Patriots uh, had an unprecedented spending spree. 
<laughs> like when they added uh Bourne and Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry. Uh, that Matt I think that Judon. was two off seasons ago. Yeah, Matt Judon. Yeah, that was the best uh, of the deals was Judon. He he's been a monster for them. Oh, he he's been fantastic. And so, like you were saying, I think the Bills definitely round out the top five uh, for teams all in in the AFC. They have about three million dollars uh, that they're over the uh, effective cap space next year. Uh, these teams don't have a lot of wiggle room to add next offseason, and they're going to be doing a lot of a lot of spring cleaning next year uh, on bad contracts that were handed out to aging stars. Uh, that being said, who are teams in the AFC that are pivoting for the future? That their moves this offseason show that they don't have all the answers right now, and that they are in a rebuilding mode. I think Houston's the first one, right? I mean, they. They added who they think is going to be their franchise QB in the draft and CJ Stroud. And then even though the trade, I think we can all agree the trade was bad in terms of a process and what they had to give up, but they added their, who they think their leader on defense is going to be. And under a new head coach, I think that signals kind of a, a movement towards the future with an offensive leader and a defensive leader in your locker room. Uh, and yeah, I think that the Texans are the main one and we touched on it uh, a little bit earlier. I think Tennessee is as well. Um, they're a little bit more confusing. I think they can move on from Tannehill this season or I think his contract expires after this season. And they've at least attempted to find a QB the last two seasons between Malik Willis and Will Levis this past season. I think they have a bit longer to go in terms of roster building than the Texans. But I think they're in similar boats. I think the Titans realize, hey, it's it's time. Uh, Tannehill, he's getting older. He's not as effective anymore. Let's try to find a QB and uh, just try to move towards the future. Yeah, no, across the rest of the AFC, a lot of teams are trying to at least show face that they're competitive, are very competitive, or in, are in the up, that upper echelon of, of like title contenders. Um that being said, oh, I, we're going to kind of the Colts too. The Colts, yeah, are no, no, the Colts the are definitely well. didn't want to leave them out, but the they're the they're the clear one. Yeah, they're they're the the clear yeah. uh, future pivot. But yeah, Absolutely. and then there's those weird uh, kind of purgatory teams like uh, the Raiders and the Broncos, kind of in the middle. They're you, they're just unfortunate to be in the same division as Mahomes. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. It, it was like when Brady had the hold on the AFC East. There wasn't really much mm -hmm. you could do. Um, so with that being said, we're going to get into our kind of final section, and that's where the best landing spots for top free agents might be. And so what I, what I mean by this is that we look at like how the Chiefs wrapped up the draft. They take uh, Wanu Morris in the third. Uh, that was kind of figuring to be slotted into their left tackle opposite Taylor Lu or not Taylor Luan. Uh, Jawan Taylor, who they signed from Jacksonville this year. But then they went out and they got a veteran presence who's been playing left tackle for the past, uh, how many years? 10, 10 or so? He's been in the league a yeah, long time. Ten, yeah, 10 to 12 years probably. Donovan Smith, great additional piece. Yeah, didn't have a great year last year, but when you add so much depth to your O-line after turnover and understanding, okay, if we want to – be competitive the guy that we need to keep upright is Mahomes he, he can make all the throws in the world and Reed can scheme guys open that's not an issue but we do need to keep them protected and it was just 
brilliant how they went about it. So that being said, could could a Marcus Peters, could he go home to Kansas City to add depth to their secondary? He was drafted by him in 2015. Uh, does a Byron Pringle come back on a vet minimum deal and add wide receiver depth for Mahomes? Uh, could enemy who's now in Washington, could he lure Byron Pringle, who's familiar with? Um, th- these are all like good questions. Uh, I The Patriots have a gaping hole at right tackle. Is Isaiah Wynn a guy that you could slot in there? He played for him last year. Does he re-sign or does he find a home elsewhere? It's just, it's stuff like this where it's, it's very intriguing when you start breaking down who's left in free agency. Yeah, I think uh, kind of the post-draft uh, in between this and training camp and roster cuts there, I think that's when you start to see really smart free agency moves, kind of like you're uh, alluding to. I think Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor were excellent additions to Kansas City who they needed starting offensive tackles on both sides and they were able to reload. I know we thought that Juwan Taylor might play left tackle, but then they go and get Donovan Smith, who blocked for Tom Brady during the Super Bowl run. Exactly. And they're able to put him on the left and Taylor on the right, both where they're used to. And um, so, sometimes I just think, like, how are they getting away with this kind of stuff? But uh, on the Marcus Peters <laughs> point, I think he could end up going back to Baltimore. Uh, they still need some, some corner depth, some DB depth. I, th- I think Minnesota would make good sense too. I think they need to add to their corner room. Uh, there's a couple, not high end, but in terms of the free agent, free agents remaining at the defensive line position. I think there's some high end uh, edge players there between uh, Jadavion Clowney, Leonard Floyd, and Unique Ngakwe. I think uh, Kansas City could add any one of them for some defensive line depth. You can never have too many pass rushers as a contender. And then uh, some of the offensive uh, free agents that are good options. I think uh, Ezekiel Elliott and Kareem Hunt are also good options for backfield depth. I know Kansas City kind of likes to take their other un- either undrafted or late drafted running backs and run with them, which has been a good strategy, uh, as we saw last year with Isaiah Pacheco. But I think teams like Buffalo, who always seem to need a running back late in the year, they could add like a Zeke to be kind of a hammer to work with James Cook and Damian Harris or Kareem Hunt could also, uh, he probably won't end up back in Kansas city, but if Kansas city needs some running back depth, there's players there. Yeah, no Kareem Hunt still definitely has some juice left. I've heard Leonard Floyd has connections with Evero from uh, his time in LA. He's currently the Panthers defensive coordinator, but we'll touch on that a little bit more next week when we go over the NFC. Speaking of L.A., though, I know we talked briefly about the Chargers needing some secondary help earlier. Could they find that in a Ronald Darby or an Adrian Amos, both of whom are still available in the free agency market? Could they go get a Shelby Harris who's familiar with kind of being on the same team and working with a coaching staff similar to Staley's to add some depth on the defensive line? Uh, when we're looking at tackles, uh, George Fan, Eric Fisher, could they be a reliable one-year rental? Uh, for a tackle needy team uh do you see like a team like new york or pittsburgh trying to get them or jacksonville swooping in and signing a tackle in light of cam robbins suspension uh these are just things where it's it's very interesting to look at yeah we know the jets like their older tackle uh free agents so i could see fant or eric fisher being an option there and i think the jags could have used uh cam irving but he, as we're recording on a Tuesday, he officially signed back with the Panthers uh, this morning to be their swing tackle. 
So that's one that they missed out on. But I could see them going for one of the tackles you mentioned, kind of to add some depth while Ken Robinson is serving his uh, suspension. I mean, the Chiefs are laying the perfect blueprint out. You might as well copy them while they do it. Uh, ensure just kind of that security around your star, especially with how Trevor Lawrence looks like he's taking that next step. He's getting Calvin Ridley. He's got another year in that system. Doug Peterson's doing a phenomenal job. Now, next week, uh, we're planning a quick snapshot of the NFC, similar to what we did with the AFC today, uh, which pretty much will wrap up this podcast series. Uh, after that, we're planning the kickstart and offseason podcast that'll probably start middle of June. And I'll run up to the first week of the NFL season. We'll do a division by division breakdown and then like a uh, final season prediction episode at the end. Um, but for today, that about wraps it up. And thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you guys in about seven days.